This call is being recorded. Hello? Yep, Gallagher here. Uh, Dustin Cavello here. Hi, everybody. Um, sorry we had some technical difficulties for this first inaugural uh, Royer Cooper Cohen Braunfeld QOF Opportunity Fund call. Um, we, uh, we accidentally uh, put the wrong phone number on the invitation, but fortunately, um, it looks like quite a few people found us anyway. And uh, we will certainly get that fixed for for next time. But um, but but thank you for for your patience, and, and we're happy to have you all and, and start the phone uh, start the call any second. Um, just logistically, I've got you all muted except for uh, ourselves, me and my colleague Leila Vaughn at Roar Cooper, and uh, our co-panelist today, Brian Gallagher from GMS Surgeon, the managing member and a tax accountant over there who works a lot with uh, real estate investors in this space. Um, we'd appreciate if you can stay on mute just for uh, uh, logistics and keeping everything simple. But if you have questions, we're, we're eager to answer them and keep this uh, interactive. So, so please email me them and, you know, I, I will pepper Layla and Brian with really difficult questions um, throughout to kind of keep this interesting and, and everybody engaged. Um, so we plan on holding these calls uh, every two weeks or so. Our next one is going to be on uh, September 19th but we'll have a special encore on September 26th as well. That's gonna be specifically about um, setting up funds uh, for investment uh, advisors and investment managers and fund sponsors. This initial call is gonna be a little bit more broad, uh, kind of an intro call on what exactly the Qualified Opportunity Fund Program is and how it works and why you should be involved. So again, thanks for dialing in. Um, with that, we're gonna go ahead and get started. And I guess the first question is, is a simple one which is, uh, I'm gonna to direct to Layla, what is the Qualified Opportunity Fund system? Why would, why would an investor wanna get involved in this space? Sure, so there's three principal benefits of investing in a Qualified Opportunity Fund. The first is deferral on your tax gain, um, which, and I'll explain these a little bit more after I, I go through them. So there's a deferral, there's forgiveness of tax up to 15% of that original gain that you've deferred. And then there's exclusion from tax on additional gain earned when you sell the interest in the fund. So let me explain that in some more detail. 
um, you're starting with gain, and so that means first you have to trigger gain. So that could be from a sale of real estate or a stock sale, and then you reinvest just the gain portion of the sale proceeds into a qualified opportunity fund within 180 days of triggering that gain. So um, the benefit, the first benefit that I mentioned was deferral, and that deferral lasts until the earlier of the date that you sell the fund interest or December 31st, 2026. The second benefit is forgiveness of some of that original gain. After five years of holding the fund, 10% of the tax on the deferred original gain is forgiven. And then if you hold the interest for seven years, that forgiveness becomes 15%. So you get an additional 5% there. The third benefit is that the amount of additional gain on the sale of the qualified opportunity fund interest are entirely excluded if the fund interest is held for at least 10 years. So I think, um, you know, those are some really great benefits, but Brian can give us a little bit of an illustration here um, to, to give some color to what that really means for investors. Sure. Um, yeah, just to reinforce what Layla just covered uh, with a quick example, and in particular, the impact on the after-tax IRR. Uh, in many real estate deals, a lot of investors are looking at uh, IRR uh, returns, but um, in this particular case, the after-tax IRR is going to be more important. So let's say on June 1st, as an example, 2018, a taxpayer enters into a, a sale that generates a $1 million capital gain. As Layla indicated, it could be from the sale of a business, Comcast stock, etc. Um, and then on September 30th, well within the 180 days, that taxpayer contributes that entire $1 million of capital gain into a qualified opportunity fund. Initially, the taxpayers deemed to have zero basis in that transaction. We'll touch on that a little bit later. Um, fast forward five years, September 30th, 2023. Taxpayers' basis in that in that qualified opportunity fund increases from zero to one hundred thousand dollars. That's the ten percent that Layla mentioned. So after five years, there's a haircut of ten percent on the tax uh, that's going to be due. Um, fast forward another two years, September thirtieth, two thousand twenty-five. After a seven-year hold. The taxpayer's basis in, in, in the investment increases from $100,000 to $150,000, so cumulative 15% haircut. And if they had sold in between there, they would, would, they would recognize that 15% benefit. Um, on December 31st, 2026, as Leila mentioned, that date, and that's just a date, that's not a five years, it's got nothing to do with the five years or the seven years, it's just the date the Congress picked. Taxes due on $850,000. So the $1 million that gain that was deferred minus the $150,000 haircut, 
15% and $1 million of deferred, or excuse me, $850,000 of deferred capital gains are taxed. And at that point, the basis in the Qualified Opportunity Fund is increased to $1 million. Now, one more step in the process, and as Leila mentioned, after 10 years, if, if the taxpayer held the investment for 10 years, and in my example here, let's say that the investment grew from his uh, from their original $1 million investment to a $2 million fair market value, so their investment doubled. In this situation, the basis in the investment is increased to the fair market value, so there is zero tax, no tax on the appreciation on the investment under a 10-year hold. So obviously that's very significant and impactful to the IRR. The impact on the IRR is is throughout the entire holding period. So there, the, the deferral early on impacts the IRR. The 10% the haircut at five years impacts the IRR. So early on during that five year, five to seven year hold period, it could be as much as a 30% increase in the after-tax IRR compared to a regular real estate deal outside of a, of a zone. If, if the taxpayer was to hold for 10 years and get that ultimate uh, exclusion of tax, then the, the uh, IRR could be affected as much as a 50% increase over and above what is um, what would be reflected outside of the zone. So hopefully that example um, kind of shed some light on what Layla described. Yeah, and Brian, just to just to kind of pull that apart a little bit more, it's almost it's almost helpful to think of it as two parts, right? You have you have an exemption on the investment inside the qualified opportunity fund, as long as you hold it ten years, basically forever, right? If that's worth a hundred million dollars in in twenty thirty or a billion dollars in twenty forty, you're you're never going to be taxed on that capital gain, right? And then you have uh, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, we get some clarity on that, Dustin, with regulations. Um, uh, the way the way it's written right now, the way my interpretation is that uh, the basis is increased the fair market value at that ten-year anniversary. So, what happens after that point will be clarification in the in the regulations. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's let's circle back to that. But um, you know, the second the second part of it is um you know, is on the rolled over capital gain, right? You know, and, and you're going to be taxed at that, assuming you hold long enough on 2026 period. So Correct. you're either going to be taxed at, you know, 100%, uh, 10% or 15% of not, not rates, but that amount of your gain is going to be subject to tax. So, so that creates some timing pressure, right? Because in order to get the maximum benefits on that piece, on your rolled over capital gain, you got to have the seven years, right? To have a 15% uh, forgiveness of that gain, right? That's correct. Okay. And there's so basically there's you got to get in, in. Yep. In in eighteen or nineteen, in order to get seven years by twenty twenty six. That's correct. Um, yep, yep. And uh, <clears throat> so, so I guess the question becomes: Okay, great. You know, as as Brian said, the IRR benefits can be magnificent. Um, but what exactly are, are, is a qualified opportunity fund? What exactly are, is Congress asking you to do? And I guess um, I'll, I'll field that just real quick. You know, at a high level, this was supposed to spur 
investment in um, in uh, you know blighted areas or under investment under invested areas that were subject to economic development. And you know the way they did that was again to to exempt capital gains on on uh, your investment in that um, in a, in that type of area. Um, and the first part about the the exemption and, and deferral on your rolled over capital gain was really supposed to alleviate the toll charge for that. You know, I I would have to uh, <clears throat> I would have to uh, uh, pay tax in order to achieve this benefit. So you know, the Congress said, well, well, we'll defer it and forgive part of it to try to alleviate that. But again, the point of it is to to trigger investment and cause investment into these areas. Um, so a qualified opportunity fund is basically uh, an entity. Um, it's probably a partnership or a corporation. You know, most um, funds at this point are being set up as, as limited partnerships. It's a little, a little unclear under the statute whether it could be an LLC, but but for the most part, it's it's a limited partnership that at certain dates has 90% of its assets basically property inside these these geographic areas, and that creates some timing issues too because the testing dates are on your sixth month and your twelfth month of uh, the calendar year of the fund, um, with the first being the end of the tax, uh, the end of the the calendar year. Um, so, if hypothetically um, somebody was going to uh, start a fund, it would be tested. You know, if somebody was going to start a fund today, the testing dates to see whether it's a qualified opportunity fund would be December 31 and June 30th. You know, with the caveat and the assumption that they're basically going to be on a calendar year, right? If they have a business reason to be off a calendar year, then they might have different testing dates, and that becomes one of the uh, the key planning areas too. Because you know, if you're if you're setting up a fund to acquire real estate and develop it in a zone, you're going to want to make sure that you know it qualifies and meets the testing dates. But it might be challenging if you you know set up an LOI to buy property in in October to meet you know after you call your capital to actually meet that uh, December 31 deadline. So if you could get off a calendar year, you might have some some better breathing room there. So that's one of the areas that, that investors you know, and, and fund sponsors really should look at is what their calendar year is. So again, but, but once you have the fund set up, it's got to have 90% of its assets uh, invested in, um, in qualified opportunity zone businesses, which is really, you know, Entities or assets, tangible assets located in the zone. Um, there's a lot of kind of color around that as to right whether your tan intangible assets count against you, and and it becomes a pretty mathematical test. But but at a high level, and, and you should certainly have tax advice um, uh, and tax advisors working alongside you to just confirm and clarify that you qualify. But at a high level, basically what they want you to do is invest in the zone, right? Um, and then the other piece of that is is uh, you know. Just investing in the zone, like a buy and hold. This is a question we get a lot from from investors. A buy and hold strategy isn't going to work, right? So, so Layla, what would have, what would investor, uh, what would a qualified opportunity fund have to do in order to uh, in order to get good property for purposes of that 90% test? Sure. I mean, typically you're looking at acquiring assets after 2017 to either uh, hold them in the original use or to substantially improve those assets. <clears throat> And so when we're talking about original use, that's the first use that the prop to which the property is put. Um, and you know, when you're talking about substantially rehabbing property, there are some specific tests under Section 168 regulations that, you know, in until we have specific regulations under the QOZ rules, we would 
probably look to those regulations for guidance there. Um, and, and then the other test is substantial improvement. And what the code requires for substantial improvement is, you know, I, I can casually say doubling your basis. So if you acquire um, a building and your basis in that is $1 million, you want to make improvements of an additional million dollars. Um, but there's actually some complication that I've started to see when looking into this for clients that, you know, if you're talking about an existing business that needs to be substantially improved, there may be a, a number of different categories of assets, not all of which can be substantially improved or not all of which, you know, the business objectives would dictate substantial improvement. And obviously we don't want to have tax completely driving uh, a business here substantial improvement should be in line with business objectives. So there's some real challenges in planning opportunities and planning difficulties um, in getting the qualified property, especially when you're looking at a scenario that doesn't involve a simple buy property and develop it and rent it out to tenants situation. Yeah, yeah. So at a, at a high level, you know, you, you basically have to double your acquisition cost in order to improve the property. Because again, you know, what, what Congress is trying to do is incentivize investment in these zones. And, um, you know, buying and holding doesn't actually, you know, result in any additional investment in the zone. So, so they want, you know, property to be improved so that it's a, you know, a nicer place to, to invest and, and live for, for others. Um, we're we're starting to get questions from the audience, uh, which is great, and we're actually coming up close to our 20 minutes, so we could start taking these questions. Um, Brian, this one this one's for you, and it's a question that I think we're all getting pretty uh, pretty frequently. Um, so, and it comes from Seth Wiseman, our our client here, Warwick Cooper, who develops real estate up in New York. Um, if somebody you know rolls say three million dollars of gain into a zone and acquires property for three million dollars. What happens after the, if they refinance and try to get liquidity out of the property? Is that something that we can do in a qualified opportunity fund or can't do, or, or what are some of the strategies around that? Well, we're hopeful, Seth, that that uh, that that will be the case. That the that the transactions will be handled in in a way that we're all used to seeing them handled. In other words, debt finance property with um, that gets leased up and. Uh, Value based on the, the the current NOI and a refinance happens and and there's some um, uh, cash out to investors. We're not sure of the of uh, what the um, what the the statute uh, is going to look like or what the regulations are going to look like on that right now. It was vague and uh, with regard to debt, both at acquisition and in refinance. So unfortunately, I can't answer that specifically right now, but um, we're hopeful that the regulations will clarify that. So just to add a little bit to what Brian's saying or to give a little bit of, of additional color to that, um, as Brian mentioned early in the call, the code says that your basis in your interest is zero except for you know certain circumstances, which are the, the step up for the 10% the additional 5%, and then your step up to um, the fair market value on sale if you've held it for more than 10 years. What it doesn't say is that you should get your usual basis 
that the partnership rules dictate, which includes um, an increase in basis for income recognized by partners, and also, you know, importantly to this question, you get basis for the debt that the partnership has um, as, as a partner. And if you don't get basis for that and you borrow and have a distribution out of the fund, you would be taxed on that distribution, whereas normally you would have enough basis to prevent that, that distribution from being taxed. Right. And so, so there's also a rule um, in the code where it says basically if you uh, roll over your capital gain into the fund, you'll have zero basis until those events, you know, the, the five-year hold, the seven-year hold, and sale. But if you roll other capital that's not a capital gain, if it's your own funds into the fund, then you'll have the regular tax rolls. So, you know, Brian's certainly right that, that it's a little unclear at this point how exactly that plays out um, under the current law, but... But I could certainly see a scenario where when, when the regs come out, you know, the rule is the debt would be treated like uh, rolled-in capital that's not attributable to your capital gain. And if that's the case, you know, you should get basis and be able to take a distribution. Um, it certainly wasn't Congress's intent to make investing in these, um, in the qualified opportunity funds, you know, non-economic and not consistent with normal real estate practices. So, you know, if, the rules are a little weird right now, but but I think we'll probably have some clarity and some you know uh, uh, flexibility for for investors like that. But it's a great question and one we're getting a lot of. Um, so another question, you guys are the audience is is peppering us with all the difficult questions. Um, another question that that we're getting from from uh, Kevin Lee, a good friend of our firm, is you know what happens if uh, if the qualified opportunity fund sells its assets, you know, prior to the 10 years, um, because a lot of people, you know, they see this as a great opportunity to exempt capital gains, but 10 years is a long holding period. So they're saying, well, can I, you know, dispose of the property in the interim, and then that does that undermine my my uh, exemption on the capital gain? And, and Layla, you want to weigh in on that? Sure. I mean, so your the 10-year holding period, just to start, is your holding period for the fund interest itself. But you're not exempted from gains and income within the fund during the lifetime of the fund. So to this question, if you simply sell the asset, if the fund sells the asset, um, you know, after eight years, there will be gain triggered. Um, one possible route we're looking at is whether you can have the fund doing a like-kind exchange so that you could um, – it, you know, if assuming that that investment was real estate, because the the law changed and doesn't allow like kind of exchanges of personal property, if the as it was real estate, we think that there's probably going to be some room for a like kind exchange to work. But again, we're you know waiting to see what Treasury or IRS guidance says on the subject. Um, but you know, short of that, there's I think not a lot of um, not a lot of opportunities to do this without intending to have a long-term investment in some form or another. Right, right. So, and, but And to add to that, uh, in your example, Layla, you know, the eight-year hold, uh, the taxpayer would get the benefit of the 15% haircut and the deferral for up until December 31st, 2026. So there still would be 
some benefit, as I mentioned before, as much as uh, perhaps a 30% increase in their IRR, after-tax IRR, compared to an investment outside of the zone. Yeah, yeah. So if, if you sell the property within 10 years out, out from under the fund, you've got a clear capital gain at the fund that's going to be allocated up, right? Um, but, but you know, the 1031 sounds like it could, could possibly work. Again, we're waiting for Treasury to really clarify these rules to a certain extent, but 1031 certainly sounds like it could work. Um, keeping in mind kind of that substantial improvement rule, right? So would you have to substantially improve the property that you get back in a trade under a 1031? Uh, probably is probably the answer. Probably, probably. Um, you know, one other thing going back to, to Seth's question, which, which could work, which probably will work, but again, you know, waiting on perfect clarity from Treasury is, you know, rather than sell the property, you know, could you borrow against it and go acquire uh, other other real estate or other businesses inside the fund that, that qualify themselves? The answer there, again, is probably yes, but, you know, um, as the rules are clarified, we'll get more certainty in all these, all these kind of good investor questions. Um, we did get another question just seeking clarification that, uh, that this isn't purely real estate, right? So it's got to be property located in the zone in order to qualify. You know, 90% of the property has to be located in the zone. But that's not just real estate, right, Leila? Right. What else does it include? So this can be, you know, any type of business within the zone with certain very specific exceptions for, you know, what we colloquially, colloquially call sin businesses, um, just to name a few. That's your massage parlor, your golf uh, golf club, your um, beer distributor, and, and some other similar businesses that that are you know not treated favorably. But um, you know maybe to go a little bit beyond that question, we sometimes get people who are excited because they have an existing business in the zone, and that you know that doesn't necessarily get you qualified opportunity zone benefits. We're we're really talking about a new infusion of capital into the zone that involves improving property or original use of, of property. Yeah, yeah. So real estate's simple, right? Real estate, when you buy a building or you buy a plot of land and improve it, it's, it's, not, it's not going to leave the zone typically. Um, whereas a business can also qualify, but you know most of the tangible property, substantially all the tangible property has to be in the zone to begin with. Um, and, and remain used in the zone throughout the life of the business. So as that business starts to expand, you know, if it's a service business and, and you have people providing services outside the zone, there's a question as to whether, you know, that would, that would undermine it being good, good, uh, good property. Or if it opens a storefront, it's a, it's a retail business and it opens a second branch outside the zone, you know, it's going to have a substantial amount of property that no longer qualifies. So, you could certainly do it, and if it's a big enough business, you you know what what people are starting to do is to carve that business up right into a into a qualified opportunity fund branch and a non qualified opportunity fund branch. But but that's going to add a little complexity, um, and it can really still be a home run, but you're only going to get the tax benefits for the portion that's the qualified opportunity fund business or branch. Um, I think that uh, that brings us up to uh, ten o'clock. Um, you know, we're happy uh, to answer any more questions. Um, I think maybe we have one more that that's pending, but uh, but after that, you know, we'll probably wrap it up. And we welcome you all to again attend our next call 
on forming qualified opportunity funds specifically, uh, you know, with respect to investment advisors and fund sponsors and raising a fund, how, how you would actually go under, undertake that process. That'll be uh, September 19th, or if you can't make September 19th, a special encore on September 26th. And, uh, and we will also redistribute the invitation with the correct phone number um, so that you'll have that handy. So um, I guess just the, the last question um, is, again, is a good one, which is, you know, if I, if I have a qualified opportunity fund business, I get exemption or a qualified opportunity fund that acquires a business, I get exemption on the capital gain under the rules that, that Layla and Brian described. But what happens to the income in the meantime? Do I get any tax benefits on that? And, and how is it implicated with, uh, with being invested in a qualified opportunity fund? Brian, you want to handle that? Uh, sure. The, the income that would be produced from the business and or the real estate from during, while you're holding it would be taxable. Uh, there's no there's no tax benefit to that. Um, this is purely a capital gain play. Um, the and as mentioned before, it's both the intention is to free up gains as well as uh, increase uh, investment in these zones. Yep, yep. But you can also layer on you know regular depreciation and interest expense and things like that. You're not you're not uh, precluded from deducting those things against the operating income, right? That's correct, right. Yeah. So, you know, in, in the early years of a business, you know, real estate, uh, equipment, heavy manufacturing, you'll, you'll have quite a few write-offs to try to mitigate that. Um, but the big benefit is on the capital gain. Um, okay. Well, I think that wraps us up. Uh, thank you all very much for attending. We, we hope to see you again. And, uh, you know, keep on the lookout for our, our invitations as, you know, as these rules are kind of clarified and, and the investment structures are really uh, tried, you know, by, by the industry and, and fine-tuned um, by investors and, and, uh, and real estate developers. Um, we're going to keep these calls going. We hope to kind of build, uh, build a good base of, of knowledge and a good base of uh, participants, you know, who, who want to be involved in the calls and, and want to even participate and present on the calls. So we're happy that you all called in. Um, you know, we hope to provide uh, meaningful, helpful information as this program develops throughout the fall. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. We're also going to record this call, and we're happy to distribute it so that you have it for, uh, for reference or, or to send around to your network afterwards as well. So thank you, Brian. Thank you, Layla. Thank you all for dialing in, and we hope to see you again soon. Thanks, everybody.